1: What unity should look like, that is coming up today on this edition of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. From Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, online at reformedheritage.org, welcome to today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Pastor Gary Wagner continues his journey through Romans. Today, we're back in chapter 12, looking at those first eight verses, as Paul lays out for us what church unity looks like and God's grace in the midst of it all. Join us for today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Here's Pastor Gary. Every joint in the body, every
2: member, every part has God's grace in that part. As every member does its part, the whole body grows unto the edifying of itself and love. In other words, there is unity. So as we are transformed, verse 2 of Romans 12, as we are renewed, as we learn God's perfect will and understand that the center of that will is God's grace to us in Jesus, we grow. God gives us gifts and the whole body increases so we can glorify God and enjoy His grace. Now that kind of unity, I realize, seems like a pipe dream today, because in the West, the disunity, the fragmentation is pandemic. And there is nothing on the horizon that seems like it can change that. Nothing that we can see, at least. But the cause of our disunity can be easily diagnosed. Not so easily remedied, but very easily diagnosed. And it is found here in these verses in Romans chapter 12. So I'm going to give you in the remainder of this sermon a few remedies for this and a few things you need to think about as you pray our Savior's prayer in John 17, that the church may be one. As we talk in the next few weeks about oneness we're supposed to have in the body and the gifts God has given to the whole body, please remember first that what is left of Western Christianity needs to be preached fearlessly to the the new birth, regeneration, transformation by the power of God. It is not desiring to have one's problems fixed that makes one a Christian It's not saying Jesus periodically that makes one a Christian. It's not programs and altar calls and doing religious things that makes one a Christian. God makes Christians, and he makes Christians by giving them what Scripture speaks of as the new birth. It is pointless to write books, as Billy Graham did years ago, on how to be born again. For there's there no three-step formula to regeneration, the new birth, or the new, or being born again. Because God has to prick your conscience and mind so that we become alive suddenly to our, our deadness, so that we can see our sins for what they really are, and that our only hope is in God's mercy. He must show Jesus Christ as the only Savior of sinners to our hearts, so we desire Him and Run to him as our only righteousness, our only cleansing, and our only life of holiness and joy. When God comes and creates this new life in us, this new birth, just as Jesus described it to Nicodemus, of being born from on high, or as Ezekiel called it, God giving a new heart of flesh, then we are enabled to repent and to believe the gospel. Not as a, well that's where I wanted to be because this is where business contacts are or this is where I want to go because I want my family to have a religious tradition. No, this is where I must go because this is where the voice of the Good Shepherd is calling me to be with his body. Remember his word? And the sheep hear his voice and they know him and they follow him. That's is the gospel Jesus preached. Turn, please, to Luke chapter 13. We could look in many places, but here is a very good place. Luke 13. Jesus didn't soft-pedal anything ever for anyone. Luke thirteen two. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that... These Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffer these things. I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall likewise perish. Can you imagine him preaching that at the Jesus Rock Concert Church across the town? Unless you repent, you will perish. That is what Jesus said to his disciples because they were the ones asking the questions. Then verse 4. Or those 18 upon whom the Tower of Siloam fell and slew them? Think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. You know, there is a very little preaching of repentance today in the church, which is why there is very little conviction of sin. I mean, we wonder, why is the church compromised? Why is there immodesty, a lackadaisical spirit in worship, compromise with the world, distractedness? It is because there is no hunger and ardent desire for the word of God. Why is this? Because there's no preaching of repentance or very little. There's no true confrontation This is because that hellish belief has permeated the church that we are all basically okay. You shall be as gods, we're told. All you need is a little bit of cleaning up around the edges and a little religious therapy, and you'll be okay. You know, sinners do not repent and turn to Jesus and love Jesus and seek the transformation in Romans 12, two, and a renewal, and therefore then the love and the unity and the gifts follow. They don't seek these things and turn to Jesus under the feminized preaching we hear today, the therapy. It just doesn't happen. We don't learn how foul we are and that we need cleansing, but it's something we must have. And that our only hope is to be cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. And if I don't have Him, oh, I will most certainly perish. But when the truth about God is proclaimed and we feel uncomfortable for His majesty, uncomfortable, we will languish in our faith. Isn't so much of the thrust of the church today how to make men feel comfortable? Well, that's the problem. That is the problem with the casual God and you come to church and you're all casual. There's no sense of God's holiness and His majesty. We must be uncomfortable before His holiness or we will never repent, beloved. We must feel, wait a minute, there is a better way than the way I'm living now because there is God's way. I want to be transformed by that. He offers grace to me so that I can be transformed. Unless we feel discontented with ourselves, we will never truly or seriously aspire to God. So the very thought, I need to go up to a place where I feel I fit in and I feel comfortable, then you may be finding a place where you just merely go on to hell because read the prophets read the apostles read the bible we don't get to form the church like we want it to be church is not panera or burger king church is not the mall or walmart and you just go down the aisles and you pick what you want The church is the living temple of the holy God and when he called you into it and made you a living stone in it and made you his child, he then does the objective, renewing, transforming work in you and you don't get to pick. You don't get to say, well, I'm going to hold on to these idols. I'm going to take this little hell of mine with me into heaven. You don't get to Do that because God saves and he shatters your idols, brings you to conviction and tells us that we need to repent. And when we are broken through the preaching and we see our hopeless condition, we might say, oh, that's not very fun. I come to the church to be uplifted. I come to church to feel good about things. I come to church because I need a jolt in my emotional state for the week. Well, you only get that in one place. When you see the loveliness of Christ and you realize, I must have this Savior. And you're not clinging to Jesus when you say, I'm basically okay. After all, I'm not drowning like Peter. I'm mostly okay. I just needed to come here to be made to feel better about my circumstances. I just needed to come to feel better about myself. Instead of saying, I need a Savior to save me from the wrath of God against my sins. That is when men flock to Christ. Men flock to Christ not when they are basically told that they're okay, but when they are honestly told they are not and that they need a Savior. That is what we need to preach But we all need to be preached to. Now you may ask, okay, so we preach this supernatural new birth that God saves sinners. How is that going to promote unity and the love and the wise use of the gifts that Paul envisions in the remainder of the chapter? You see, once we embrace that grace, once we embrace the gospel, that humbles us. And then we are done trying to remake remake the church by what we think is important. Yeah, but they don't have the right to kind of singing over there. Who cares? Well, the minister's just too old. Who cares? Does he preach the word? Does he confront me with it? But they don't stand for this cause and they don't stand for that cause. Who cares? Those are secondary, tertiary things and in, in some cases, utterly irrelevant things. You know, the way the church is unified is that the gospel radically changes us, humbling our pride. Some say, oh, stop trying to meet God and deal with life on your own terms. The church does this today. You know, let's make the gospel more palatable. Let, let's water it down. Make unbelievers feel comfortable with themselves, which is the worst, most loving loving thing you can do for unbelievers. They don't need to feel comfortable, because if they feel comfortable now, they're going to be uncomfortable throughout eternity. We have to be confronted with God's Word. We don't live in this nice, polite, scientific, technological world where everyone is pretty much the same. We live in a world governed by the Holy God. And if I'm not uncomfortable and repent and believe the gospel now, I'm going to perish forever. That is the reality, my friends. Everything else is just footnotes. That is the reality. I stand before the Holy God, and the problem is I can't make myself new. I can't do anything about my sins, and neither can you. I can't give myself a new heart to love God. I can't, I can't rid myself of my idols like Rachel in the tent from sitting on them and holding fast to them. She says, I've left my father's house, and I'm going with Jacob, but I'm going to sit on this idol. I just can't give it up. No, when we believe on him, he begins to transform us and renew us, Romans twelve two, And that leads to, to the very humility, verse 3, that leads us to esteem others as better than ourselves and to think soberly about ourselves and what God has shown us and the gifts that he has given us. And then to practice the humility and the love and the giving that promotes Christian unity within the body of Christ. And what is the dynamic behind each one of these? It is a new heart with God's Word written upon it. And God does this work. How can we know He has done it in me? I can't tell you that if you do these three things, you'll leave here today born again. But I can tell you how you can know that you are born again. God's Word becomes precious to us why because that is our new nature we want to breathe right so we struggle with oxygen why because we have to have it when God gives a new heart and writes his word upon that heart God's word is more precious than life itself and we hunger after it after it more than our daily bread and God's word, as we hunger for it, changes us because it judges the thoughts and intents of our hearts. And it particularly changes the poison root of selfishness and self-love and self-seeking. This is the reason Jesus said things like this. Listen, let the radicalness of this confront you again. Luke fourteen twenty-six. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yea, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Matthew sixteen four. If any 24. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. We cannot do these things on our own. I can't do them. Left to ourselves, we love our family than those close to to us more than we love God. We would rather side with our rebellious children, and we'd rather not go against our wives to obey God so that we can keep the peace. Jesus says, when I change you, it's not that you stop loving your families. It's that you love me more. It's that you desire to obey God, even if those closest to you don't follow, and that you are willing to deny yourself. It is simply impossible, beloved, to make yourselves new new in the way Jesus described regeneration. So he must do it. He must transform us. And he says he will. His word is so powerful that it breaks the hold of sin and loosens the prison doors and lets the captives free. What was his first public sermon taken from Isaiah? The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach glad tidings. And then he goes on to say, to loose the captives and proclaim the acceptable day of the Lord. If we are still enslaved to our sins and idols, there is only one person who can open the prison doors. And that is, of course, Jesus Christ. So come to him and say, Lord Jesus, smash my idols. Give me a new heart. And if you think you've got the new heart, great. Praise God for it. But pray Romans twelve three, Lord, continue to renew me and transform me so I, I don't get puffed up with your grace in my life, but that I think soberly. And I remember that everything I have is a gift of your grace so that the more you give me, the more I praise you. Let's say you're just loaded down with gifts. Let's say that you're loaded down with blessings from God in your family and in your life. Then the more beloved you will praise Him if you are truly a Christian. You see, that's why in the Reformed community, and the conservative Presbyterian community, our worship services should be the liveliest. We ought to praise God the most loudly, We ought to flock to God's Word in mass and encourage men and women around us to come with us because God has been so good to us and we know it. He has given us so much of His truth, but not so we would just simply build big libraries. You see, I know a lot of people who have big libraries, but they never sing at all the praises of God. I would rather sing of God's truth and His majesty than have a big library. Because if God has been good to us and He has given us His truth and and the gifts and grace and He has put us in His body, what should we be? Humble. How should we live? Singing praises. What should we tell of the people? God has had compassion upon me, a sinner. Everything I have is His gift of grace. Go back this evening and meditate on verse 3. By the grace that is given unto me. Oh, come on, Paul, don't go there. Tell us about the authority given unto me. By the intelligence that was given unto me. By the fact that I have been caught up into the third heavens. Remember, he told the Corinthians, I have seen things I can't even tell you about. Lord, come to us like that. Come to us with grace because grace on one hand is so sweet and so desirable and on the other hand is so humbling because it doesn't matter how long I've been a Christian. Everything I have has been a gift of God. So the longer I'm a Christian, the humbler I am. Is that how people see us? Is that how people see our congregation? That the longer that we've been Christians and the more we've sought the Lord and the more he's transformed, the humbler they see us and the more we praise him. Is that what people think of you, mom, dad, teenagers? Some of you have grown up in the bosom of the church. Some of you I baptized and held in my arms. Others of you who have spent most of your life in the church, is that how people look at you? Boy, that young man, that young woman has been a Christian for a long time, and I see how humble they are. They don't think highly of themselves and their opinions like others. They see it as their privilege that they were born into the body of Christ, and they're growing in grace and in the knowledge of Christ. Oh, beloved, is that you? Because if it is not, you are an ingrate. So let today be the day of salvation in your life and renew your vows and renew your commitment to the God of grace through Jesus Christ. Now you may have come to the conclusion, man, I don't know if I'm born again. I don't know if I know him, at least not like that. I know he sanctifies his children and I know everything I have is a gift of God's grace and that we grow over time in our faith, some slower than others. But I've never really repented and I'm holding on to my idols preacher then let today be the day of your salvation hear the voice of Jesus Christ say to you I am the savior there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved repent and come to me and he will heal you and he will save you and he will loose the chains that are binding you to the world to self to lust to pride to gossip and worse slave master there is me I want to do what I want to do. Jesus can break that and say, come out into the free air. Come out into the light. See yourself as a sinner. See my cross. See, there it is. I died. I paid for all of your sins. Look at me. I'm at the right hand of God. I've been raised from the dead. The penalty for you has been paid. The debt has been satisfied. Look to me today. That is what he says to us. All today, I am the Savior and there is no other. The living God says to us, I am the one who blots out all your sins. Do you want to have your your sins blotted out? Come to the living God. Confess Jesus Christ as your only righteousness. That he is the Lord Jesus because he saves his people from their sins. And don't delay. Because make no mistake. God is sifting Even today, the false from the true, the Jesus rocks from the true humble church of God, he is sifting. What are you going to build on? There's no other foundation but that which has been laid in Jesus Christ, God's perfect word, who gave to us the Bible so that we would live by every word that comes from the the mouth of God. Let us commit to do so. Love it. The Word changes lives. And when we're all hungry for that Word, it gives us a basis then for unity. So let's seek that from our Savior. Amen.
1: Eight six six five six oh seven. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB post mailbox four oh two, and the address is fourteen eighty four Pollard Road.